Pacers passing has been lights out so far this season, as has their low turnover rate. We'll talk about all that, the Pacers depth advantage, and look at their game tonight against the Bulls, all on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we will continue diving in to the 2-0 Pacers, one of three undefeated teams remaining in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics, everybody expected the Magic and Pacers, nobody saw coming. Yet here we are after five days of the season with the Pacers on top of the East and a big part of why has been their passing and a big part of why has been their depth. And we're going to dive in a little deeper to both of those topics today. Are those things sustainable? Are they things the Pacers will be able to rely on all season? If you want more on how the Pacers were able to beat the Cavs, their toughest opponent yet, even without their key players, obviously, a bonus pod over the weekend because I was in Cleveland and had to break it all down. Uh, and that can be for you, unless you want to watch it on YouTube, because I am a dummy and did something stupid while recording and lost the video, so only audio for that one, unfortunately. Today, we will start with the Pacers passing, because that is something I want to dive into. Why? Because in the Pacers' first game, they had 38 assists against the Wizards. That's a crazy number. So crazy that the Pacers had 38 assists exactly zero times. Zero during the 2022-23 season, and then they followed it up against Cleveland with 36, which would be tied for their most they had during the entire 2022-23 season. So they've already had two passing games that are insane. They're currently averaging 37 assists per game. Granted, it's been two games. That's more than they had in any single game last year. Their passing has been so, so sharp through these two games. 37 assists per game uh, is currently first in the NBA. Second-ranked team right now is the Brooklyn Nets at 30. (laughs) <laughs> only two other teams have hit the 30 mark. The Pacers are the only team over the 30 mark. And the third ranked team is at 20, or the, excuse me, the fourth ranked team is at 28.7. Pacers almost 10 assists ahead of the fourth ranked team in assists. They have just thrown the ball all over the place. And the numbers are crazy. The, the key thing, if you have watched them, is the ball's not sticking at all. And I don't mean that to say last year it was sticking or there was any reason the ball would be sticking. But it, ha- it with a team like this that has a lot of guys who read the game well, who like to play random, who like to play off of each other, the ball not sticking generally means that all those things are happening, right? They're able to quickly attack, play random in a way that gets the defense to bend, and keep the ball ping-ponging around until they get a good shot. Now, granted, they have to make the shot to get an assist, but they've done a good job of getting rid of the, as Tyrese Halberton called it during the preseason, repetitive randomness, right? When they're catching, they aren't thinking too much, they aren't doing the same thing over and over, they're attacking in different ways, and so the defense is being reactive, and that allows the Pacers to be proactive, keep the ball moving, get it to where they need it, and that's been working, of course, really well for them. Their primary creators have been fantastic, right? Halberton, of course, 13 assists against the Cavs on Saturday, 11 in the opener, Andrew Nemhard had the double-digit assist game in the opener. McConnell was fantastic against the Cavs passing the ball. Those guys have done their thing at the level the Pacers need. Nemhard's passing is different than Halliburton and McConnell's in that the latter two 
really put pressure from everywhere on a defense and then kind of spray out. Uh, Halliburton can make crafty passes from all over the floor. And Nemhard's kind of doing it on the interior with a bench unit that takes different shots. But it's all been clicking because the ball's just constantly ping-ponging around. And those guys have lots of chances to attack the cracked defense or attack into space in a way that allows them to have an easy pass or allows for their teammate to have an easy shot. All they have to do is get them the ball. Halliburton has some advanced passes. They've all thrown some advanced passes, but a lot of it's just been like the simple, this is the shot we want. Oh, look, it's there. Let's make that read play. And that's great that that's there because that means their offense is doing what they want. And so I don't think they'll average this many assists per game or constantly be getting into the 30s. That would be insane. But this does kind of show what they want to be, right? Their offensive identity is all about early offense, playing fast, playing random. And if you get into stuff early and you're putting the defense on the back foot, this is what you can look like a lot of the time. We heard from the players at the end of last season, especially in their ex interviews, that some opponents detailed, like, God, it's hard to play against the Pacers because they just play so random. They're so hard to scout. And so especially early in the season, there's not a lot of tape on a team and their new guys and their new style. That really plays in the Pacers' hands, and we've seen that so far, where their random actions and their – their style of just pushing it down your throat is so hard to prep for and be ready for on a possession-by-possession possession basis, then all of a sudden there's one new lineup that the other team can't have prepped for, isn't ready for in the moment, and bam, here come the Pacers. They've got it. And their second group has been that a lot, where they've been mixing and matching and having success there. The bench creators have been fantastic too, of course, like I said with Nemhard and McConnell. But the thing that's kind of elevating the Pacers' passing level a little over last season to me has been the half-court stuff. When they're not in the open floor, when they're not expected to be at their best, they have been, right? There's one standout pass in particular. There's just one pass. I don't know why I'm going to make a big deal about this, but I am. It was late in the Cavs game, about five minutes to go. I think it was about a four-point game. Cavs continued to come back. Pacers needed another timely shot, which they had a million of in that fourth quarter. And Tyrese Halburn threw a, a tough skip pass to the opposite corner. And the shot wasn't there. I can't remember who caught it. I think it was Aaron Neesmith. So they reset. Neesmith threw back to the top to Halliburton. And he didn't even hesitate. He caught it. He looked at the rim. He saw Andrew Nemhard kind of cut halfway along the baseline and threw the most basic bounce pass to Nemhard, who had a floater from 10 feet. And he drilled it. Took the air out of the building. Pacers, of course, hold on to win that game. And it's just like a very basic bounce pass from the top of the key to the baseline. But... The fact that an advanced pass came before that, and that got the defense to rotate, and then the man in the corner drove and reset, just everybody was in a little bit of a different spot than they were about three seconds earlier, and that opened up just enough space for just a very simple bang-bang pass shot bucket. Like That kind of little stuff is allowing the Pacers to do well in the half court in a way that they didn't always do last year, and I think that is sustainable and something they can lean on the rest of the season. Now, <laughs> the thing about passing is that you got to make the shots to do it. And the Pacers' percentages are definitely unsustainable. They're not like insane from two-point range. They're 11th in the league in two-point percentage, but they're just drilling threes, 43% so far this season. So, yeah, they're gonna assist numbers are going to come down. But they're doing a lot of stuff that I think is sustainable and can do all season, right? Their, their secondary creation, which is just like this fake buzzword that is now said everywhere, to specifically say what I mean when I say the word secondary creation, it's like when the ball comes to the weak side and it's Buddy Heald and the four-man or Buddy Heald and the five-man over there, and they just immediately flow into a pick and roll, right? That's secondary creation. That's second side actions. And if you have a guy who can be a creator in those moments, that's great. Buddy Heald has done well in those moments this year. He's not thought of as that kind of player. But he's averaging, I had this up, and now I don't for some reason, 
Uh, he is averaging a good amount of assists per game this season. Currently, he's at four and a half because he's done well in those moments. He's hit the roll man in pick and rolls there. And that's when he's really good is in those kind of second side plays, right? And Ben Matherin has done decent in those. Ben Matherin currently averaging three assists per game. Big jump for him from last year, even though that's not a huge number, right? For him, usually the second side stuff uh, looks a little different. But he still can get into it right away, right? When the defense is already fractured a little bit and he's got space to attack, boom, he can seize it and make a play. And so his passing was a little worse against Cleveland. But those two guys being on their A-game passing as well has just been evidence to me that the Pacers are on the same page. They know what they need to do. And, man, has their offense looked great so far with all these passes. And the third part of this <laughs> that I is, is adjacently related is they haven't thrown errant passes at all. Lowest... Uh, one of the lowest turnover numbers in the league, 12.7 per game, is fifth in the NBA right now, except that is their turnover rate. Excuse me. Their turnover rate is fifth in the league per game right now because their pace is so high. Per game, they are first, the fewest average turnovers per game. They're taking care of the ball, right? And this is kind of the vision for their offense. They want to play fast. They want to keep the ball popping. They want to keep themselves, of course, having the ball and making the shots when the passes come. And if they can continue to be a great passing team that never turns the ball over, well, they're going to generate a lot of good shots, as they have often in these first two games when they've scored 143 and then 125 points and averaged 37 assists and done enough to win by double digits twice. And so part of the reason the Pacers are 2-0, their passing has been awesome, their guards have been great, and we'll see if they can keep that up. I just gave some reasons that the assist number specifically is unsustainably high, but they can continue to be a very high-volume passing team in general, and I'll be curious what that means for them as the season progresses. That's strength number one I want to talk about for the Pacers today. Number two I want to get into is their depth and how that has been a big advantage for them. And I think that one is more sustainable and can continue to be a big threat for this Pacers team as the season progresses. Before we talk about their depth, got to talk to you guys about the lovely people over at Prize picks. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports, it's prize picks. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections. Watch the winnings roll in. It's really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than a minute. That's fantastic. And that's all it is. Pick your player, pick your stat. Are they going to go more than or less than that? Boom, there you go. Well, Odell Beckham Jr., for example, more or less than 50 yards receiving in a game. Josh Allen, more or less than two passing touchdowns. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay. That's what Price Picks is all about. Shh. It's a super fun time. you got to check it out. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA when you're signing in for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use that code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Highly recommend checking out Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first Listen today and every single day for your second listen, Locked On Cavs, because the Pacers just played them. They're a tough divisional opponent when they're healthy. And I just saw the Locked On Cavs guys over the weekend, Chris Manning and Evan Damrell, two great Midwestern dudes. First time meeting Evan uh, and Chris, of course, and I have been buddies for a while. They'll be on this show later in the season when it's worth talking about the other team more in these season previews than just five to ten minutes to close out shows on game days. But check out Locked On Cavs. Really excited to be wearing the Hoosier hat today. IU football was not embarrassing against Penn State. Their basketball team is back, clobbering uh, Indianapolis in exhibitions. They had a bad first half, but still, I'm hype. Hoosier basketball is back. I couldn't be happier. For my Purdue people, you're going to be great this year, and I'll be at your football game 
on November 11th. No hard feelings from me personally. Let's keep talking about the Pacers and the depth of their basketball team. That has been a huge advantage for them every single game. And I know this because I've watched the games and I've understand when the games have turned from a lineup perspective. And I get that their opponents have been inferior, but it's hilarious to look at this chart. Um, PBP Stats does it. Um, so what this is, is it's the percentage of possessions by number of starters on the floor. But what PBP Stats does is they also include a team's net rating and ranking in those moments, right? So for example, the Pelicans, with all five of their starters on the floor, that's been 40% of their minutes, and they have the second-best net rating in the league in those minutes. You can dig in, Excuse me, that's the magic. Uh, either way, you can dive in that deep to every team in all their situations. And the Pacers graph looks hilarious because their all-five starters' minutes have not been very good. Almost a quarter of their minutes are with all five of their starters on the floor. They have a tw- the 27th-best net rating in those minutes, right? So the Pacers' starting five, which makes sense to be the starting five for now, still, it hasn't been like... I mean, the numbers say it's been awful, but it hasn't like been laughable. Um, the first quarters, they've got to be better. You know, the 27th best net rating, right? It's blue. It looks awful on this graph. Every other number of starters for the Pacers, they're in the they're they're such a good net rating number. With only four starters on the court for the Pacers, with one starter out, um, the Pacers have the second best net rating in the NBA <laughs> out of all 30 teams. Second best with three starters on the floor. The Pacers have the ninth best net rating in the NBA with two starters on the floor. The Pacers have the 12th best net rating in the NBA with just one starter on the floor. Something the Pacers have had almost a quarter of their minutes, 24.6% of the time because their top four bench guys have been so good mixed and matched with another player. That's something we talked about on an earlier show. Pacers have turned to that quite often with great success. Seventh best net rating in the NBA. And then the key one here, potentially as the season progresses with zero starters on the floor, Pacers net rating second best in the NBA. All that to say, even though the starters haven't been good, their depth has been spectacular. When they get those guys in the game, it doesn't matter how many other starters are with them or how few starters are with them, those guys have been really impactful. And so you can go through those numbers and say the bench unit itself has been great, and that is one way to do it. But you can also just go, hey, all the individuals have been awesome, point blank, period. That's it. You don't have to include any lineup caveats about who they're with. Jalen Smith was amazing against the Cavs, unheralded in that one. He did awesome on Mobley on defense, bullied him in a way that was important. And on offense, he made his shots again. That's all he needs to do. And he made some key passes. I thought his passing was good in that game to go back to the first segment. Aaron Neesmith, no introduction needed this season, has defended well. They tasked him on the vert a little bit when he was cooking in the first quarter. Of course, he had a career high in points. He looked good against the Wizards. Andrew Nemhard, same thing. He was the first guy they subbed in to cover Levert when he had 19 points in seven minutes. His passing has been awesome this season. He's making his shots. He's got a new dynamic in the mid-range. Buddy healed for all the things he people talk about all summer with him. Can and can't do. 43% from deep. That's what it's going to come down to for him. On seven attempts per game in 22 minutes, he's hitting 43% of them. I mean, that's just a crazy amount of microwave scoring in a small amount of time. And the passing's been there. Like I said, almost 5%. Five assists per game. For Buddy Heald. And then McConnell is is kind of in the rotation. He definitely was against the Cavs. Has been spraying the ball around everywhere and has made 71.4% of his shots. Right? Some of their depth is just that their bench guys are playing phenomenal basketball. 
But some of the reason they're playing phenomenal basketball is because they're good players who happen to be playing on a second unit for this Pacers team. We talked all summer about these competitive camp battles for the Pacers and what it means for the future of these guys and their minutes and how they all fit together and blah, blah, blah. And that's important, and I'm not going to rehash all those conversations right now. You literally click on any of my past like 15 podcasts. I'm sure it comes up at some point. But what I want to bring up here is that means those guys are good. So when they're out there, whoever whoever the guys who get to play are in a given game, they're going to do well. They are all young and getting better, or in Heald's case, a very integral part of those units, right? And that it's just been a really solid, cohesive bench group. And the reason it's an advantage is that they're good. They have more capable bodies to throw at an opponent than most teams do in the league. And that doesn't even account for Jordan Wara and Daniel Tice, who have not played much or in Tice's case at all this whole season, or Isaiah Jackson, or their rookies. They just have capable play to throw at you all the time. And for some teams, depth is like they have a bunch of like ninth best guys who could be like the back of a rotation on a lot of teams. The Pacers, to me, have a lot of like seventh guys, and that sounds like a minor difference, but to me it's actually a pretty major difference given how many of them there are. And they can just keep throwing them at you all game long. And they plug into any group, so it's not like you need to have a certain type of lineup out there to bring Aaron Neesmith in. You can have any lineup in, and Aaron Neesmith's going to fit. You don't have to have a certain type of guys out there to get Andrew Nimhart in, because he can defend. If you can defend, you can play. Buddy Hield can shoot. If you can shoot, you can play. They just can throw dudes on the floor. Does it say something about the starters? Meh. Maybe. They starters were awesome in the preseason, especially that final game. Preseason doesn't mean much. The interesting part of this to me, and I'll get to tracking this when there's probably five games of data, that's still not enough, but enough to talk about something significant, is last year the Pacers also stunk to start games, right? So it's a different starting five this time. Is it some of the guys who are in the starting five from last year to this year? Is it just that the Pacers are a better team when they have time to adjust? I don't know. But that is another trend to, to watch is, is the Pacers bench so good because it's picking up the slack from a bad start or is it just actually amazing? And the answer so far has been, it's actually amazing. But why is the starter so bad, net rating-wise? I don't know. But the depth has saved them in two games so far, and they're going to have more depth than almost every opponent they play this season. It's going to be a very significant advantage. And even if their starters don't have it on a given night or they have to mix and match, well, guess what? They can do that. And they have very specific weapons against other types of teams to be able to throw in different combinations, right? We've seen a diff. The thing that I said after the first game that I think is going to be a crucial weapon for Carlisle all season is the Neesmith, Nemhard, Smith, Buddy Heald group. You can have a the fifth player with those guys be any number of positions. It could be Bruce Brown like it was in the first game. It was Tyrese Halbert in the first quarter against the Cavs. Uh, it was... It's been a, just a number of guys. I almost just said something wrong. But it's been a number of different guys because you can throw different elements in with those four and get a different look while still having mostly the same talent. So their depth is going to be an advantage this year, I think, most nights. And I think that's going to be a reason that the Pacers can play fast the whole game. They're going to have fresh legs and a talented group out there at all times. That should be an advantage for them tonight when they take on the Chicago Bulls, Pacers division game number two of the season, first home division game of the season. What is important to watch for in that game for the Pacers? Can they continue to do well against the Bulls? They did last year. We'll talk about that to close out today's show. But before we hop over to that, I have to tell you guys about the awesome people over at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Monday Night Football coming up tonight. Tons of action yesterday. Colts fans, I am sorry. But right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets on FanDuel 
with any winning $5 money line bet. It's that simple. You pick a game, you bet the money line with a $5 bet, you win it. Boom, 150 bucks if your team wins. That's a sweet deal. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now with a deal like that. The app is super easy to use, and they have a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn for that deal and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, Lockdown Kings. Matt George is the latest on De'Aaron Fox, maybe hurting his ankle, and the Kings still holding on to take down the LA Lakers in overtime. Kings fun. Kings fast. Kings good. I maybe was too low on the Kings this summer. Matt George, if you hear this, my bad. We'll see. It's early in the season. Pacers, Bulls tonight. I don't know where to put the Bulls in terms of quality of opponent for the Pacers, given who was available for the Cavs, and given that the Wizards did not look very good on opening night, and then they looked pretty solid against the Grizzlies. They defended okay, and they got a win. Uh, What to make of any of this? Who knows? It's been two games for most of these teams, but credit to the Pacers, regardless of opponent quality. They take care of business. The Bulls have been hilarious. <laughs> With absolutely no slide at the Bulls. They lost their opening night game. They played the Raptors in their second game. Oh my gosh. If you want to watch, I don't even know what to call this. Basketball comedy, if that's even a thing. Um, it, I've never seen a, a, such a dramatic ending than I than I have in Bulls-Raptors last Friday. Except it, didn't, it wasn't dramatic because guys were making big plays and making a wildly entertaining game. It was the opposite. Everybody kept messing up and trying to give the game back to the other team. The Bulls ended up winning in overtime. DeRozan missed like three free throws in the last 30 seconds. That would have put the game away. Um, timely rebounds. Caruso hit a big three uh, in that game. It, check it out if you get a chance. Comedy. And then they lose to the Pistons uh, the very next night. Kate Cunningham looks awesome this season. Looking forward to watching more Pistons. The Bulls have been hilarious. Watch them if you can. Levine went crazy in that aforementioned uh, Pistons game. He's now averaging 25 points per game this season because basically of that game. His other two games were kind of stinky as an offensive player, and I think that's going to be a key thing. Can the Pacers have him be the guy he was in the first two games? Right, They played the Thunder on opening night. He had 16 points. They played the Raptors in that game I was talking about a second ago. Levine had eight points, and then they went to Detroit, and he had 51 which Zach Levine is going to be there in Indianapolis because the 51.1, they lost that game by 16 points, but the 51.1 is much more threatening and much harder to defend, and the Pacers are going to need to find answers if he's playing that hot. And they struggled with Karis LeVert when Karis LeVert got hot, right? They tried Bruce Brown. They tried a couple bit of Matherin. They tried blitzing him. Eventually, they found the right answers with some of their bench units and what they were able to do, but I don't need to rehash that game too much just to say they if Levine gets hot early, they need better answers quicker than they did against the Cavs when they could not slow Karras over down until the first quarter ended. Um, but he's been a threat at his best this season. DeRozan is still DeRozan. He's shooting almost 50% and averaging 24 points per game. And then there's a big drop-off for the Bulls. Vucevic hasn't been accurate. Kobe White hasn't been accurate. Torrey Craig has kind of been accurate but isn't shooting that much. Caruso had that big game. They just have... A very wildly underwhelming offense after their stars. And so if you're the Pacers, good chance for your defense to be crisp once again, like it was for the last three quarters, at least at times, against the Cavs. Not saying their defense was good, but at least it was crisp and understandable what they were trying to do and how they were trying 
to slow down their opponents and their defense ratcheted up after the first quarter against the Wizards uh, as well. Pacers are, so stylistically, I want to dive into something. Pacers are currently allowing, this is a, maybe a concerning, for lack of a better term, trend to monitor as the season progresses. Pacers are currently um, allowing 72s per game, 72-point shots per game. That is the most in the league. <laughs> that is by far the most in the league. The Bulls are taking 59 twos per game. That's fifth in the league. So can the Pacers keep the Bulls off their spots? The Bulls want to get to the rim. They want to get to their shots in the mid-range. Sometimes that's DeRozan. Sometimes that's Levine. Sometimes that's Vooch. And those guys are good enough at those shots that it's still very threatening. Uh, so the Pacers, who part of their defensive growth this season has been we want to prevent threes and run guys off the line and you know deal with that as we will. Well, the Bulls are like, okay, great. These are the shots we want anyway. This is our normal diet. Sometimes they get to mid-range Chuck Happy. That's maybe a problem, but sometimes that's good for them. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Pacers in that stylistic battle where they're trying to encourage a team to take the shots that they want to take anyway, that'll be important. Another stylistic thing, the Bulls not getting steals this season. They currently rank 30th in the league, 10 steals per game. Pacers never turn it over. Another part of this, the Bulls not the best rebounding team this season. Bulls are currently 28th in defensive rebounds per game this year. Pacers, not the best offensive rebounding team, about average. Pacers have done well in the defensive glass this year, by the way. But that is a trend that I don't believe will sustain. Either way, the Pacers should, given the stats coming into this game, and after watching both teams enough to have some confidence here, the Pacers should have a lot of chances. They should win the possession battle in this game. And I think they have a more efficient per-possession offense, so that does give them an advantage. If you made me pick, I would pick the Pacers to win. I am very frequently wrong, but that is just another thing here is if the Pacers lose the possession battle, which it looks like they should do well at in this game, that can be scary. And a team with Levine and DeRozan giving them extra chances is not a winning formula. Pacers taking care of the ball once again, like we talked about in the first segment, and not allowing the Bulls to get crazy on the offensive glass, something they're not particularly good at, will be important. And the final stylistic thing in this game that I think will be interesting, it'll be a slow-paced game if the Bulls have it their way. Bulls currently 27th in pace, Pacers currently third. Who's going to win that? The Cavs found a way to slow the Pacers down, and they almost came back for a big win. They still lost, though. Pacers responded and found a way. But either way, that was a key part of the Cavs looking more comfortable a lot throughout the game is the speed was better for their style. Pacers cannot get slowed down that much. They have to be faster. The Bulls are not a fast team. That would be good for the Pacers to get the game up and moving, keep it whizzing around. I think that would help them quite a bit. So can they slow Levine or DeRozan? Both are really challenging players. Pacers don't have the size or lateral foot speed to contain both of them most of the time. But can they at least slow them a bit? If so, I think that would go a long way in the Pacers starting 3-0. Can the Pacers get to their speed? They did that really well against the Bulls last year, right? The Bulls wanted to play slow last year. The Pacers said, who cares? We want to play fast. And they did it at a great level against Chicago last year on uh, multiple occasions. Pacers went 3-1 and against the Bulls last year, had a pivotal tiebreaker win late in the season for a playoff push. That didn't end up mattering at all. But still, they did well against the Bulls last year, keeping their speed. Can they do it again? I think that would be significant. And can Tyrese Halberton handle the pestiness i typed pressure that's not the right word can you handle the pestiness of the bulls on ball guards kobe white not a great defender but he's pesky caruso is a great defender and he's pesky and io Desunmu is a decent defender and he's pesky they are going to try to make tyrese halberton's life hell oh and they have javon carter i mean that's just a tough team he's also very very pesky and annoying and provides a lot of pressure like that is going to be a lot of guys trying to stop halberton in his face all night 
can he either get it out quick and get the buckets or can he actually hold it against those guys and make his plays? He's responded extremely well to several coverages this season. I think he's smart enough at the game that maybe there isn't a great coverage to slow him down specifically, but that team does have the maybe most consistent way to make a point guard's life uncomfortable for a whole game of any team in the league right now. We'll see how Halberton responds to that. But as I said, I'd predict right now a Pacers win, but I am not a big one-game predictions kind of guy. It just kind of blurted out of my mouth when I was talking about the pace of the game. We'll see how it goes, and we'll break it all down tomorrow here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. And we'll be through the first week of the season. We're really there now, um, but it has flown by. An extension for Neesmith, an extension for Carlisle. Two games of impressive value. Some interesting questions answered about the team. There's been a lot of Pacers coverage. A lot of it's been great all over the internet. Check it out, including here at Lockdown Pacers. Some great episodes here last week. And then I'll have some guests later in the week to dive into the Pacers' early season play. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I certainly did. It was fun. I'm looking forward to the game tonight. We'll be coming at you with the podcast tomorrow night as well, talking Pacers, Bulls, and more. Thank you guys a ton for listening to today's show. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We will see you tomorrow.